website, nextlevelchurch.com. You can download all of our messages there for free and listen to that because this week we're talking about success. Last week was how do we handle defeat. This week is how do we handle success because the truth is whether we want to admit it or not, whether we even think about it often or not, the reality is we live in a successful world, don't we? And, and if we're being honest with ourselves, we have to admit that there are literally hundreds of successful people in this church right now. According to the world's standards, you and I are successful. We're using our talents, our passions, our, our giftings, our abilities, and according to the world's standards, we are successful. And that's exactly what I want to talk about today. Success. According to the world's standards, and not necessarily in the way that some of us right now think that maybe we're going to talk about this. Because there's a truth here. And the truth is this. The vast majority of us listening to this message today are and will continue to be successful, according to the world, for the rest of our lives. Right? Now here's the thing. We can stand up in an environment like this and go, it's bad and shame on you and you ought to, you ought to. No, 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 hang on. We've been given talents giftings, abilities, God's blessing is on our life and consequently a byproduct. Whether we've wanted it to or not, whether we realized it or not, the reality is we, hundreds of us, have become successful according to the world's standards. Now here's the thing. If we deny that success, we have two choices. Either we run from it, i.e. sell everything and move somewhere far, far away from prosperity and everything. Or we learn how to deal with it. Because, again, the truth is, think about this for a second, the truth is the vast majority of us right here are and will continue to be successful according to the world for the rest of our lives. So here's the thing, and we all know this is true. We all know someone, don't we, who was loaded with talent, loaded with potential, who was successful or had the potential to be successful by the world's standards, but because they didn't know how to handle success when it came their way, eventually they imploded. And it left shrapnel and carnage across their life, didn't it? There's a good chance that right now, every one of us listening to this message this morning can think of someone. We're seeing someone's face in our mind's eye. Someone who to this day is experiencing pain, is experiencing heartache, has has wounds, has scars, has brokenness across their life because they reached the success point. And didn't know how to deal with it. And the truth of the matter is, if you and I don't learn how to deal with success successfully, it has the ability to do the very same thing to us as well. I was somewhere this week, and someone described the people of Next Level Church as very, very beautiful people. And you know what I thought? Well, they say that a church resembles its pastor. (laughs) 
thank you very much. I think I picked up the check on their lunch that day. I'm like, that's on me. You know, I got it, really. Come on. Let's admit it. We're successful, aren't we? We live in paradise for crying out loud. We're successful. But the truth of the matter is we've all seen it happen. It's people just like you and I who reach a level of success in their life, but they don't know how to handle it when they get there. And consequently, they implode. And it ends up wreaking havoc across their life forever. Well, as your pastor, I don't want to see that happen to any of us. So this morning, we're going to talk about the dangers of success. Because there was a guy in the Bible who was successful, according to the world's standards, much the same as I believe many of us who are listening today find ourselves successful as well. So if you brought your Bible, would you turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, I want us to look at this guy in the Bible. Now, he's, he's a guy that we all know. His name is David. Yes, that David. King David. Yes, David the Goliath slayer David. David who lived the American dream, so to speak. He, he started out as, as a shepherd boy. He started out as in, in obscurity, as like a, the little baby brother that nobody wanted and was way out there. And somehow, by God's grace and favor, began to experience success in his life until he found himself at the pinnacle of success in that day. He became king of Israel, God's nation. Listen, if you're going to be king of any nation... It's a good thing to be king of God's nation on the earth. Well, David reached the pinnacle. When you think of success, you can't think of a guy who was more successful in the Bible times than King David. He was, in fact, one writer in in the scripture actually records that he was a friend of God. I mean, this guy was successful at every level. According to the world standards, everyone and their brother would look onto this guy and go, this guy is successful, but David didn't know how to handle the success. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we read an account and we see some dangers of success that took David out. And that's the story I want us to read about today. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. If you have your Bible, turn with me. If you don't, the verses are on the screens around me. Let's look at this together. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab, who was one of his commanders and, and a friend of his, with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba. But look at this next sentence. But David remained in Jerusalem. So here's what's going on. King David is in his palace. He's in Jerusalem and it's springtime. And this is the time, the Bible records, when kings go off to war. It was customary in those days for the king to set the example. To go off to war with his men. But for whatever reason, David decided, you know what? I ain't doing it. I don't really feel like leaving the palace. Has anybody seen my crib? This place is fat. P-H-A-T. This place is sweet. Oh, yeah, go sleep in tents for a few months. No, you guys go ahead. Godspeed, right? See, David was successful. And here's, here's the first danger of success that I want us to get because I believe many of us can relate to this. Number one, success caused David to be where he should not have been. The last sentence says, David remained in Jerusalem. All of his troops, all of his guys, Joab, his commander, all of the, all of the men 
The warriors were out on the front lines doing battle. But David didn't go. He stayed back in Jerusalem. He should have been with his army. He should have been out there, but instead he was in there. Why? Why? Because he got out of the pocket. He started to think he was invincible. And if you and I aren't careful, what we can begin to do is fall into the trap that says, I am so successful, I am invincible. And because of this invincibility mentality, David thought that he had liberties because of his success. Maybe some of us feel the same way. We look around and we go, have you seen how, check me out. Look how successful I am. I'm... I can do that. No, no, it's cool. It's, it's cool. I do this all the time. No, it's all right. Nobody knows. It's cool. It's just, it's just a liberty. It's, no, it's cool. When you get to my status, when you get to my level, you can do stuff like that. It's just one spring. It's just one battle. It's just one sip. It's just one night. It's just one click. We start to take liberties because of the success thing, and consequently we end up finding ourselves at a place where we should not be. That's what happened to David. His success blinded him to the reality that he should not be in Jerusalem when no one else was there. So here's the question for us. Where have we been taking liberties that we shouldn't be taking? What place do we find ourselves in that we know we shouldn't be? Where, where are you taking liberties and going, you know what, I, I'm cool. I, no, it's cool. I, it's, I'm successful. I got it. I'm in control. See, that's what happened to David. He found himself in a place physically, mentally, and spiritually that he should not be. Look at verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. What? Okay, what's going on here? Here's what's going on. Our boy, Mr. Success, King David... Hanging in his fat crib, his palace, he's chilling like strawberry filling, doing the deal. All of his guys are out at war, and he's there in the palace, and all of a sudden he's like, wow, it's a nice night, let's go look at the stars. And he goes out on the roof, and he looks over and sees a woman who happens to be hot, bathing. It says she's beautiful, there it is, modern translation says hot, H-O-T, alright, if I'm spelling little words, I'll spell it. So David's on the roof, and he's like, Time out. He calls a messenger in. He's like, okay, come here, come here, come here. Can you imagine being that, that guy walking around? Who's that? Go find out. So they go find out. And what do they tell David? They come back and they're like, you know who that is? Her name's Bathsheba. And she's somebody's daughter. And she's somebody's wife. But watch this, verse 4. David sent messengers to get her. Number 2. If we're not careful, success can cause us to become unaccountable. This is huge. This is huge, you guys. If there's ever a message that is burned with passion in my heart, it's this one. It wasn't that David was alone. It was that he didn't have strong enough people around him to tell him to not go through with this. 
he had the appearance of accountability, but did not have authentic accountability in his life. Guys, we're successful. Some of us make more money than we know what to do with. Some of us drive cars we never thought we would drive. We live in homes we never thought we would live in. We live in a community that we never believed was possible. Some of us look around our life and we're like, my wildest dreams have come true and I'm still in my 20s. Watch this. If we're not careful, this success thing will bite us. Because we will reach a place where we become unaccountable. We become untouchable. Until we start saying things or thinking things like this. Hey, I built this. Who are you to tell me that she's somebody else's wife? Who are, why don't you go back to your cubicle and get out of my corner office? And we become unaccountable in this thing, don't we? See, that's the danger. And that's what happened to David. He finds himself at this place where he wasn't touchable. He didn't have the right strong people around him at that time who could look back at him and say, David, don't do this. Dude, that's somebody's daughter. More than that, that's somebody's wife. But he sends a messenger, go get her. I don't care. I'm successful and I will have what I want. Who are we accountable to? Follow-up question, are we really accountable? Or do we just give off the appearance of accountability? Because it's real easy, isn't it? Oh, no, I got friends, and they ask me questions, and they really, what questions? How's it going? Good. And then you move on? See the Red Sox? Are we really accountable? Are we really accountable? Who in your life can tell you, I think you're making a bad decision? That's the power of our connection groups. Having a small group of people that we authentically do life with who can look at us and say, I don't think you should buy that car. I don't think you should date her. I don't think you should do that. I don't think you should go that way. Who are willing, as Mike said a few weeks ago, to risk the friendship for the sake of the friend. That's authentic accountability. And as successful people who are only going to get more successful, we gotta, we got to know this stuff. David says, go get him. Verse 4, look. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Number three. Success, if we're not careful, can cause us to forget that our actions have consequences. Success, if we're not careful, can cause us to forget that our actions have consequences. Look, look at this. David was willing to compromise a high standard. One of the Ten Commandments. Back in those days, they didn't have much. But what they did have, David understood. In order for another writer in the Bible to describe him as a friend of God, he knew he was a God-fearing man. And yet in this moment, he compromised a high standard. Why? Because he couldn't get past his own success. Somehow in this whole process, David had a moment where he felt like he was above the standard. He could break God's law and it was okay. Somehow in his mind, even just for a moment, he thought that it was permissible. Ever felt that way? I can fudge this a little bit. I can, I can go beyond this. I, I can look at that. I can, I can have that. I, that standard doesn't apply to me. You know why? Because you know how much money I make? 
that standard doesn't really apply to me. I pretty much pick and choose at this point. See, this is the entitlement trap of success. I'm successful, so I'm entitled to this. But what David forgot, and what's so easy for us to forget in all of our success, is that actions always have consequences, period. What thing are you convincing yourself that you're entitled to? Is there something in your life that you keep convincing yourself, I'm entitled to it? No, I, no it's cool. I, I, know, I know that the Bible kind of speaks against that or whatever. I, I know that it's not recommended. But I'm me. Aren't I entitled to that? See, that's where David found himself. Sure, she's somebody's daughter. Sure, she's somebody's wife. But it doesn't matter. I'm the king. I'm Mr. Success. So I can have it. So he sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. Now he's in big trouble. Look at verse 6. So David sent this word to Joab, who was the commander of the army. Send me Uriah, her husband, the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Okay, notice. When Uriah, the husband, gets there, what's David do? He makes a little small talk. Hey, man, how's Joab? Yeah, sweet. Remember that one time we were hanging out? It was sweet. How's the war going, man? How's it, how's it going out there? You guys hot in those tents? Because have you seen my crap? He's looking at me small talking. Are you kidding me? How's the war going? Oh, how's the older soldiers? Oh, good. Be sure to tell them I said hello. There was an element of friendship involved in their relationship. They lived close enough that he could see their house. It was palace. The Bible actually tells us that Joab, the commander, and David were friends. Many theologians believe that Uriah and David at least knew each other, were acquaintances. If not, there was some sort of relationship or friendship there. Go to the next verse. Then David says to Uriah, man, you've been at this a while. Go down to your house and wash your feet. He's trying to get him to go down and sleep with Bathsheba so that they don't know whose kid it is. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. He sends him something. You know, when you get there, hey, it's a box of chocolates. Bible doesn't tell us what it was. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. He wouldn't go. Uriah was a man of integrity who understood that, that actions have consequences and, and he wouldn't go. Look at verse 10. David was told Uriah didn't go home. So he's like, well, bring him back. So he calls him back to the palace and he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Look at what Uriah says to David. The ark in Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men, speaking of him, your troops, King David, are camped in the open country. Look at this. How could I go home to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, King David, I will not do such a thing. Whoa! You talk about a guy who understood integrity. 
Here's a guy who goes, listen, I won't defile my men, my fellow soldiers, my commander, Joab, and I won't defile my king by going home and eating and drinking and sleeping with my wife. I won't do it. When everybody else is out to battle, I won't do it. And David's like, "Mm." So verses 12 and 13, he throws a party. And Uriah, he tries to get him drunk to send him home because he's trying to cover his tracks. Mr. Success, our boy who forgot that actions have consequences, who was in a place where he shouldn't have been. Verse verse 14, In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab because once he got Uriah drunk, he still slept on the front porch. He still wouldn't go. So David has no other choice. Look at this. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and he sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so that he'll be struck down and die. What? David signs a death warrant, seals it with the king's stamp, and places it in Uriah's hand and says, when you get back to the battle, give this to Joab, our friend. Look at the next verse. Is it on there? Sorry. No, it's not. He gets back to the battle. Joab opens up the note and obeys. And Uriah the Hittite, the husband, dies. Number four, success, if we're not careful, can cause us to cover our tracks in order to stay on top. Success can cause us to cover our tracks in order to stay on top. David compromised his integrity because of success. See, there was no way that he was going to let news get out that he had slept with another guy's wife. So rather than own up to his sin, he decided to cover his tracks. Why is it that world-class athletes get busted for drug and steroid use? We look on as average athletes at best. We look on and we're like, what is, why, why would you do that? Why would you risk everything to take steroids? You're already a world-class athlete. You're already amazing at your, at your game. God's blessed you. Why would you risk all of that? Here's the reason why, and I hope if you hear nothing else today, I hope you'll hear this. I believe that there is no pressure on earth like the pressure of success. And there are very few people in our world who have learned to deal with it successfully. Heck, it took out King David. And I understand that I'm talking to a room of really successful people. So you guys, this is why we need to pray for our leaders. Especially in the body of Christ. This is why we need to pray for people like Rick Warren and Craig Rochelle. Andy Stanley, Bill Hybels, guys who are leaders in the body of Christ nationally. Pray for me. Because, see, Satan wants to destroy, and he will use success to do it. The Bible says, smite the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. What does that mean? It basically means that Satan understands that if he can take down a leader in the body of Christ, he'll do damage to the whole body. So what about us? 
where are we covering our tracks somewhere in our life? Are, are we covering something up so that we can stay on top? Has this success thing so gotten into our heart and our spirit that, that it doesn't matter what we have to compromise? It doesn't matter if I compromise my integrity. It doesn't matter if I'm covering this up. It doesn't matter because I have to stay on top. And number five, success can cause us to sacrifice relationships for results. David killed his friend Uriah. And he caused his other friend, Joab, to compromise as well. Think about Joab. Put yourself in his position for a second. He's on the battlefield leading the troops. And he gets a letter from his king, from his commander-in-chief that says, Oh yeah, kill our buddy Uriah. Of course, he's holding a letter and he understands that if he doesn't do it, what's his fate? Well, let's see. If King David is willing to kill that guy, he's more than willing to kill me. So David causes Uriah to die, Joab to compromise. Why? To stay on top. David sacrificed relationships for results. And if we're not careful, we can get so caught up in the success trap that we willingly let the relational zones of our life suffer because of it. Some of us know what it is to have a marriage that failed. Because we prioritize results over relationships. Some of us understand and know what it is to have a friendship that was lost. Because we were so driven to be on top. So driven to be successful that we compromise that relationship. Simply because we prioritize results over relationships. We've all known a leader who's done that, haven't we? You know the one, the leader that behind their back you're saying things like, here they go again, proudly sacrificing relationships for results. And we watch, we watch leader after leader after leader pass through this organization because the leader is so driven for results that they're willing to sacrifice any relationship to get what they want and to stay on top. Are we prioritizing our success over relationships? It's impossible for us to do, but I want to challenge you just for a moment to zoom ahead to the moment in time in all of our lives when we'll be lying on our deathbed. Because I have a feeling that when we get to that point in our life, we won't lay there and regret not having made more money or sold more widgets or gotten a better title or gotten a corner office. I have a feeling that when you and I get to the end of our life, we'll be lying there either wishing we had done more relationally or thankful that we place the priority on relationships over results in our life. But see, this is tough. This is tough, though, because we live in a world that says results equal success, but we serve a God that says relationships equal success. Jesus said it himself. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? I gotta tell you something. This this message is burning in my heart. Last fall, you know what, brother? You're doing an awesome job. Let me tell the story. Just stay, stay right there because I need to share my heart. 
last fall, a prominent leader in the body of Christ fell. Many of you remember the scenario. And when it happened, I was absolutely devastated as a leader. Because this guy was a personal hero. When we started the church five and a half years ago, I emailed him and asked him, how do, how do we do what you've done? And he emailed us back, and we've read all his books, and we've followed him, and we've watched him. And you guys, if there are five people who have influenced what Next Level Church has become in the last five and a half years, this guy's one of them. I emailed him 10 days before the story broke and said, thanks for setting the pace for us young leaders in the body of Christ. We're watching you. We're behind you. Thanks for doing it right. Thanks for living a life of integrity. Thanks for setting the example for us. And 10 days later, the story broke. And I gotta be honest with you. When I, when I, it rocked me. And in the weeks following all of that, I had some real hard conversations with some people in my life. And I went and I sat down with my counselor and I sat down with my wife and I sat down with those closest to me, Mike and Scott and others, and I asked this one question, how do we make sure that that never happens to this church? And it was a time of getting very, very raw and real with the reality that Satan uses success. And if we don't learn how to deal with it now, it can destroy us. And in the midst of a lot of those conversations, a few thoughts flowed out of that. And I want to throw them your direction this morning. How do we make sure this never happens to us? Number one, surround yourself with people who can keep you small. My counselor told me this. This is great advice. He said, you know what you got to do? You got to start positioning people in your life right now who will tell you that you're just not that good. (laughs) True story, man. When CNN said they wanted to come to our church, Mike walks into my office and he's like, bro, you know you're just a hack, right? (laughs) You know... You know that as a preacher, you're just, uh, right? David didn't do this. He didn't surround people. He didn't place people in his life and give them permission to say, you know what, if you ever see me doing anything funky or weird, you get all up in my business. Why? Because there's too much at stake. Number two, never allow yourself to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. That's straight out of Romans chapter 12, verse 3. This is the humility piece. When we begin to realize, you know what? You're not all of that in a slice of bread. You're not. You're just not. Number three, never forget that everything you have is a gift of God, period. Never forget, you guys, I'm talking to hundreds of successful people right now who are only going to get more successful. 
And as you honor God in your life and make godly decisions and wise decisions, the success of the world is a byproduct to all of that in so many cases across this room. But here's what we can never forget. Never forget that everything you've been given is a gift from God. And if God wanted to, he could take it all away from us in a moment. We can never forget. It's his. It's all his. The position, the title, the accolades, the awards, the salary, the bonuses, the car, the house, the relationships, the network, everything, everything that we have. Is a gift from God. Period. And those closest to me, my counselor, gave me that advice. They said, Matt, listen, if you, if you want to know how, here's how. Put people in your life who have permission to keep you small. Stay humble. Never forget that it's all Jesus. All, all, all Jesus all the time. No matter what you do. If you're a doctor, if you're a salesperson, if you own your own business, if you're whatever, you're working for whatever, we're a teacher, wherever you find yourself in that place of success in your world, never forget Jesus put you there. And if he wanted to, he could take it all away. So how do we avoid the success trap? We do everything David didn't do. We watch the places we go. We get accountable. We never forget that actions have consequences. We live with integrity and don't cover up our tracks in order to stay on top. And we never sacrifice relationship for results. That's how we avoid the success trap. Because Satan is real. And he wants to kick our tail with it. We've got to be careful. Because we're successful. And it's only going to get worse, better. Let's stand again. Where have you fallen prey to the success trap? The worship team is going to sing this song again. We fall down. We lay our crowns. All of our successes, all of our achievements, we lay them at the feet of Jesus. That's what this song is about. Taking all that we are, all that God's allowed us to be, all that God's allowed us to achieve, all of the gifts and blessings of God that he's placed into us, and we lay them at the feet of Jesus.